One man was called into the courtroom to testify. He was one that had seen this crime that was committed. And the attorney asked him, did he really see what happened? And he said, yes. He said, how far away were you from this crime? He said, about 300 yards. The attorney said, what? And you're testifying to the fact that you know what went on? Let me ask you something, sir. How far can you see? He said, I don't know. How far is the moon? (laughs) We have a courtroom this morning, and we're going to have some testimonies. And uh, I believe today, uh, as we go through this particular time, that we're going to leave this church believing more, thanking God more, for Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? I have been looking at the signs, the miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John. Now, keep in mind the purpose of the book of John, the purpose of the gospel of John, is to show that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that Jesus Christ, believing in him, would merit eternal life if we simply believed in him. And so we have been looking at the miracles or the signs that are recorded. There are seven of those signs. And we have gone through three of those signs. One is turning water into wine. Number two, the healing of the official uh, and uh, the son of the official. And then Of course, our last study was at the pool of Bethesda with a paralytic that uh, was, was healed. I was about to go into the fourth miracle that's recorded in John chapter 6. But there's 47 verses in the fifth chapter of John. And I began to look at this and God began to deal with me. And I began to, I believe, since the Spirit of God to look at these verses rather than just at the miracle that took place. Look at what went on here. And I think it is very, very important. And I want to read, if you will, as we look at these uh, verses in the fifth chapter of the book of John, starting with verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. The reason they did the, the religious leaders of that day that sought to kill Jesus is because the man that he healed, he told him to take up your bed and walk, to take up your mat and walk. And so he actually was carrying his mat with him when he was approached by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day and wanted to know why he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath, which was against God's holy law. And so they criticized him for carrying it. They criticized Jesus, and that's the reason it says in this 16th verse, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus because he actually told this man 
to carry his mat on the Sabbath day. And they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, and I love this answer, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. All of Christianity hinges on this one thing, that Jesus not only was equal with God, but that he was God. He was God. And so they could not understand that. He made several claims. Let me read, if you don't mind. I'd like to read all 47 verses, but I won't do that. I do want to read several verses, beginning with verse 31, reading from the New King James Version. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, why would Jesus say that? He said that simply because in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and in verse 15, it says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So he lays down the gauntlet. He lays down the claim that, listen, if I just testify to the fact of these claims myself, it's insufficient. And then he begins to lay out the testimony of five different means whereby to testify on his behalf. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Verse 33, you have sent, uh, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I, but I say these things that you may be saved. Look at verse 35. He, has, he was, rather, John, the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness to me. And the Father has sent me, or, uh, and that the Father has sent me, and the Father himself who sent me has testified to me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. Listen to Christ as he's talking to these religious leaders. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which... There it is again. Notice these words, this word over and over. These are they which testify of me, verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may, be, may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. You wouldn't get that in a seeker-friendly church this morning. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God. I have come to my father uh, in my father's name, and you do not receive me. Here's what he said. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe 
God. Do you uh, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus lays it out plain. And I want in a moment to call some witnesses that will testify to the truth of Jesus' words and validate what he says. But I want you to notice in 14 verses the six claims that Jesus made. First of all, he said, I am equal with God. I am equal with God. Second of all, he said, I am the giver of life. Can you imagine anybody saying that they were equal with God and say, I give life? Thirdly, he says, I am the final judge. Number four, he says, I determine man's destiny. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This separates Christianity from every other religion. Because if you go outside of these these doors and outside of these walls and you begin to talk to those in our culture today, they're going to tell you that there are many ways to heaven. That if you believe in Mohammed, if you believe in Buddha, and a lot of other things that you can get to heaven. And that's what angers people in our society today is that Christianity says that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. And they couldn't believe it here when Jesus was speaking to them. Number five, he says, I will raise the dead. Number six, Jesus says, I do the will of the Father. In fact, Jesus always, I believe, did the will of the Father. Now, how can he make these claims? How can he substantiate what he's just said? These six claims, which is it's no person in their right mind unless they were a fool, unless they were really and truly God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how could they make these claims? And so let the trial begin today. And I want to call some witness for, witnesses for to witness for this man that stood in front of all of these religious leaders and said that he was equal with God. Let's hear from the Father himself. Uh, the, the witness that I'm going to present to you is God himself. The book of Hebrews opens with the following statement. Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers with, by the prophets. That was his way of communicating. But then he stopped. He went silent for 400 years. And then right about at the time he's going to change the, whole, the course of human history, before Jesus Christ was to erupt in the scene, he sent messengers. He sent a messenger to prepare Mary. He sent messengers 
to, uh, uh, host of, of angels in the highest to declare the birth. But then there are three times recorded in the New Testament when God the Father himself spoke audibly. And I will send you to Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then we move the scene to the Mount of Transfiguration. As you have three apostles there watching the scene, as Jesus' countenance is just turned brilliant, blinding white. And as they're standing there, Matthew 17, verses 5 and 6, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And this final time that he spoke was... The week before he went, Jesus went to the cross, the day we know is Palm Sunday. In John 12, 27 to 30, he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Hallelujah. In these instances, God spoke in an audible voice, and it's each time it was heard by others. John records Jesus explaining why he wrote in this manner in the very next word. The crowd that stood there, it says in John 12, 29, and heard it. It said it, and, and it said that it sounded like thunder. Others said an angel spoke to him, but Jesus answered, "This voice has come for your sake, not for mine." Hallelujah. Each time that God spoke was was that all will know the deity of Jesus, and that to confirm him as the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He is my Lord that is described in Ephesians 1 and 20. He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the holy places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the, the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Can you say, 
Praise Jesus. Praise Hallelujah. 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 That's the Father saying that He's my Son. But let's see. I believe I want another witness to come. I, I don't know that that's just going to do it. Let's see what the next witness is going to say. John the Baptist bore witness of Christ. And there's plenty of examples in Scripture, some very direct, some a little indirect, where John testifies of the claims that Jesus made. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. In the book of John, chapter 1, 32 through 34, it says this, And John the Baptist bore witness, saying, these are John's words, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, on Jesus. He who sent me said to me, again, this is John speaking, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I, John, have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Hallelujah. In John chapter 136, John the Baptist says of this, Behold the Lamb of God. And finally, John the Baptist says this in chapter 331. He who comes from above, Jesus, is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. It is clear that John the Baptist believed that Jesus was not only the Son of God, but was God himself. Jesus claimed to be the giver of life. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then John the Apostle tells us about John the Baptist. This man, John, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Jesus claimed to be the final judge, and he claimed to determine man's destiny. John the Baptist told the people in Luke chapter 3, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he goes on to say, he, John, tells the people, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John also says this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And finally, when John was preaching at the River Jordan, he said this to the people, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. He was referring to Christ, who then showed up and was baptized. So it is clear that John the Baptist believed that Jesus is our judge, that Jesus does determine man's destiny. And finally, Jesus claimed to raise the dead. You'll remember that John the Baptist was thrown into prison. And while he was in prison, he sent some of his disciples in a moment of what we can perceive may be doubt, saying, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus said to John's disciples, go and tell him this. 
Tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. John knew that Jesus would raise the dead. I could call this court closed and go home. That's two witnesses that we've got. But listen, Jesus didn't stop there. He looked those people in the eyes and he said, wait a minute, I have another witness. And I want you to listen to the witness of the works of Jesus Christ. Christ said, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. These works that he did were again and again happening in public places. They were happening in places where you don't see any possible questioning of what was going on. We know now that people want to explain away anything supernatural in the Bible. They want to explain away this and that, anything they can. But at the time, we see that these things were happening in the open. They were happening to people that had faith in God and were wanting to see specific things happening, and these things were happening. In fact, there was such little doubt that the main thing that was raised is the religious leaders and scribes came by and said, In Mark, he's possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons who cast out demons. He called them to him and said in parables, this is Jesus speaking, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house divides against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan is risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house, plunder his goods, unless he first binds a strong man. Then he may plunder his house. So the only rebuke they could possibly say is it's coming from another source. And yet Christ said, no, you cannot divide the church like that. He was specific in the unity of the church. And in Christ himself, as professing the deity and the Messiah, he would say, in all things, I will make things complete. And in these works, they will be pure because they are coming from me and in turn from the Father. Everything he did was reflecting back to the Father. They were glorifying his name. Specifically in John 10, verses uh, 37, 38, Christ says, If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Even far after, far after Christ was crucified, raised again, we see his works testifying through the church. And specifically, we know they were pointing to Christ. They were not just pointing to something happening. We know there are times where different ones would try to buy the power of God or the gifts of the Holy Spirit or all these different things. But the power of Christ being the source of the miracle is always what tied it together. The story of the sons of Siva, and you can read the whole passage in in Acts 19, is a powerful testimony to Christ being the reason. We've been talking about the reason for the miracle, not just the miracle itself, but the message behind the miracle. And in all of these miracles, Christ is the one who is the one who is exalted, lifted up, always reflecting back to the Father and keeping things in unity. In this passage about the sons of Siva in Acts 19, there were several Jewish exorcists who saw the Apostle Paul doing great and mighty works in the name of Christ. 
And so they come and they try to have these same type of exorcisms by what they have seen, but yet they do not know. They say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Someone we don't know, but that we've heard of, that we've seen on TV or whatever. And we're going to try to get the glory ourselves. And if you want to read in detail, this ended very badly for them because the people possessed with demons said, Paul I know, and of course Jesus I know, but who are you? And such a powerful reversal of the miracle happened in a way that they were overtaken and the whole city saw, wow, this Jesus is real. We see these miracles happening when the right way is gone about, when Jesus is lifted up, when those that are following him or are doing these type of miracles, the whole city came and just began to, to burn their occult books, to burn everything that they had that was against God. They said, this is power beyond what we know, the name above all names. This is what the miracles are about. They're not just the miracles in themselves. You can have people pulling rabbits out of hat and whichever it may be, but these miracles were done for the purpose. They were done for people to know who Christ was and that his followers were in the same way connected to the same authority that is from the Most High God. Amen. All right, we have the Father. He testified. We had John the Baptist, which they really believed in. I mean, they all, the whole countryside went out to see John. They liked John. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to use John. John gives a testimony. And now even the works are testifying to the validity of Jesus Christ. But there's something more. There was no one that knew the law like these Pharisees knew the law. They knew it in and out. Let's see what they testify concerning this Jesus. I'm here to testify to tell you today that the scriptures testify of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you have to remember these Pharisees, when they were trying to trap Jesus in these things, they only had the Old Testament. And they think, or what they thought, was that the Old Testament did not actually testify or mention anything at all of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that the entire point of the Old Testament was to point to Jesus Christ himself. You want some proof? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 26, in the creation story, then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness that is speaking of the trinity of the father of the son and of the holy spirit when you sneak over further there's more um, talking about in genesis chapter 2 and i will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel That's speaking of Jesus Christ. When we look at some of the stories that are laid out in Scripture, specifically speaking of Abraham and Isaac, we know that Abraham was not able to bore, or obviously he couldn't bore a son, but his wife and he could not have a son together until God said, I'm going to give you a son. And he gave him a son and his name was Isaac. And God said to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son on the altar. Show me that I matter. So here, Abraham is taking his son Isaac up to an altar to go and give him as a sacrifice 
to God. And yet this is a foreshadowing of exactly what God does for us by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. If that's not enough for you, you can flip to Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it says in chapter 7, first of all, the entire chapter is called the sign of Emmanuel. It says in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, these Pharisees knew the law. They knew the scriptures. In fact, I find this mind-boggling. They even memorized much of the Torah of the entire... I mean, y'all, this is a lot. (laughs) And they memorized it. They knew it. But it was only head knowledge. That's the problem sometimes. We study the scripture, but it's only in our head. We only have the knowledge of it. But God, let it sink in and let us understand that we must have the head knowledge. We must be able to understand, but we also must have the heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. These Pharisees knew the scriptures. They had the head knowledge. But without believing in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the entire Old Testament just points us to the one who gave his life on a cross for us, there was no point. We have to believe that heart knowledge. We have to believe, confess, and know in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'll give you a quick example. If we have a lawyer who studies the law, who loves learning about all of the laws, but he doesn't have a heart for justice, who is he helping? If we have a doctor who spends eight years in medical school loving studying the heart and studying uh, the brain or whatever he is studying, but he has no heart for people, there is no point in him practicing medicine. Therefore, we as Christians, if we love the scripture, if we love the tradition of church, if we love all of these things, but there's no heart knowledge, there is no point. The Old Testament testifies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his coming. Are you convinced yet? Are you convinced yet? I am. If I was an agnostic, (laughs) atheist, I think something would be happening in my mind. I would say, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here, but we have one more. And they really, well, I'm going to let him tell about it. Congregation, pastor, things are about to change. Jesus, now he turns the courtroom tables and he he redeems directs the conversation to his accusers. Jesus pulls out his trump card, his ace from the deck, so to speak, of the Jewish heroes, Moses. Why Moses, you ask? I'm glad you ask. He was one of the founding fathers of Judaism. Yes, he was. He spearheaded the Exodus. If you remember, the Jewish people for hundreds of years were in captivity. 
They were not where they wanted to be, and they're not where God wanted them to be. And God sent Moses and used Moses to deliver them out of bondage into the promised land. Moses was also responsible giving them the law. He went before God himself. No other man was in that position. God gave him the law, told him, this is what I want the people to know. This is how my people should live. This is what they need to do. So they, Moses was doing that for them. He seemed to be their go-to when it came to the law. They would always say, Moses said this. Moses said that. Even when they would confront Jesus, the thing that they always thought about was Moses. Moses is this. But I want you to listen to this in John chapter 5, verse 45 through 47. And if you will, I'm going to read this from the message. But don't think that I'm going to accuse you. Now, this is Jesus speaking. I want you to focus in on the dialogue here. This is Jesus speaking here. He said, don't think that I'm going to accuse you before the Father. He said, I'm not going to do this. Moses Moses is the one in whom you put so much stock. He is your accuser. If you believed, you really believed what Moses said, you would believe me. Because he said, Jesus was saying, Moses wrote of me. If you won't take seriously what Moses wrote, how can you expect, how can I expect you to seriously take what I speak to you? You talk about a reversal here. See, in this situation, these people were making accusations. Of, Who do you think you are? Our God we know, and you're a man. You, your father was Joseph, and here you're claiming to be God. How do you think you can do this? This is an abomination. So the roles were reversed here. They played the prosecutor role, coming against Jesus. And they came to Jesus accusing him. Now Jesus says, unless they repent, they will find themselves, the Jews, on defense, being prosecuted by the very lawyer they thought was representing them, their beloved Moses, the lawgiver. Now I'm not belittling the importance of Moses, but I'm here to tell you there's no man, no personality, no church, nothing ever that is above the name of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus engages them again. Then he goes on to tell his listeners that if they actually believed Moses and what he said, they would have a different attitude toward him, Jesus Christ. That he, Jesus, was the one that Moses was preaching about in Deuteronomy. Yes. We refer back, like Christy said, the Old Testament led forward to telling the New Testament, which the New Testament was Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 and 19, if you will, I'll read this from the New English Translation. It says, I will raise up a prophet. Now, let me get the, get the dynamics right here. This is God speaking to Moses, and then Moses has transcribed this in the book of Deuteronomy. And now we're hearing him say, God saying to Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you from them, from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them whatever I command. I will personally, this is God speaking, no other force in the universe. I will personally hold responsible anyone who then pays no attention to the words that prophet speaks in my name 
So, as they say, the trial is over and court is adjourned. Oh, my, my, my. I'm convinced with all of these testimonies that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I'm convinced that He was God. I'm convinced He is our Savior. I'm convinced that He lived and died and rose again and lives forevermore. Stand to your feet and praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 Thank God for the verdict. Thank God for the verdict. Hallelujah. 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 Amen and amen. You may be seated. I'm excited. What do you think about our witnesses, huh? What do you think about our witnesses? Every one of them. Thank you so much. My wife and I were in Charlotte this past Friday. And we were eating at a restaurant. And there was a couple there with their two children. The wife, she looked to be around 40-ish. and She had a shirt on with large writings on it. It said, faith over fear. Faith over fear. Well, I looked at that and I could not resist, but I asked her, I said, how do you have faith over fear? Well, it stunned her. I think she had forgotten what was, what was written. And she looked at me like a calf at a new gate and she stood there for a few seconds. Then she said this. She said, believe in yourself. That is typical of a humanistic answer. That is a typical answer of our culture today. Let me tell you something. You won't have faith over fear. You won't have peace in your heart. You won't have life everlasting with believing in yourself. You can believe in yourself all you want to and try all you want to. All the efforts of man, it's a failure when it comes to having any kind of a relationship with God. The way you have a relationship with God Almighty, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the way you have a relationship with God is through and by His Son, Jesus Christ. And I would say this morning that he's wonderful, wouldn't you? I would say this morning he's merciful, wouldn't you? I would say this morning he's our Savior. Joy is going to come. Say one of the most beautiful songs that you could sing. It's called Wonderful, Merciful Savior. The important thing that we want to understand, my friend, is the fact that everything John wrote, all the miracles and the signs that were performed, everything that was done was to point people to Jesus Christ. The message behind the miracles was none other than Christ himself. Let me say it again. The message behind the miracle was none other than Jesus Christ. He's a wonderful, merciful Savior.